Hey, this is your Olympic hero, Kurt Angle, and I don't suck, and neither does the Pimples Podcast, but anyone who plays the Riders, they suck. Oh, it's true. It's damn true. Let's go, Rider Nation. I'm ready. I'm ready. Welcome to the Piffles Podcast, your Saskatchewan Rough Riders fan podcast. And before we get started, I got to know what the biggest foul, fashion foul is. It's a rider podcast. I'm wearing a BC Lions hat and Steve's wearing, what kind of shirt are you wearing? I feel like hey, it's can you a see- bunch of flag colors sta- tapled, or stapled together. Can, can you speak, speak up because Steve's dressed too loud? Is this one of those? I told you, you I like to, to blend in. Speak up! I'm wearing a towel. This is one of those things. Uh, to those not, not watching, believe us, we are, we are all clothed. Yes. We are. None of us are wearing a towel that anyone can see. Yeah. Keep those cameras, cameras up, staying boys. up here. Yeah. Cameras stay up. This is your Saskatchewan Rough Riders fan podcast. My name is Alex. I'm Steve, and I'm Barbie. To these two Oppenheimers. I'm sure there's a meme coming out very soon of that, isn't there? Are, are you are you guys Barbenheim, uh, Barbenheiming? Um, I, I've seen it. I don't know what it really means, though. I'm too Barbie old. And Oppen- Barbie and Oppenheimer are coming out this weekend, and people are making it like a double bill. Because those sure. movies definitely go go together. I can see it now. I saw Titanic on a double bill once. I forget what was before it. One's about like basically the existence of human man and the power to be, and the other one is Oppenheimer. This is this is going to be a wild weekend. <laughs> and let's get back We're on the rails. And we've already jumped the shark. Yeah, how many people have tuned out already? Um, give us a follow on Twitter at Piffles Pod. You can give me a follow at Real Alex D. You'll find me at Safamod. And as always, I need do not need nor want your pity follows at Greg on Sports. I almost keep on screwing that up every week now. You want those pity follows now. Piffles podcast. Well, I, I, I'm on a million <laughs> social media networks right now. I need them somewhere. Get them on threads. Get them on yeah. threads. Yeah. Uh, Piffles podcast brought to you by our great friends at Dairy Queen on Elphinstone Street and Sass Drive in Regina. I'm trying to stay positive uh, this week with the with the riders. It's so hard right now. Time for the opening kickoff. All right. So the riders lose 33-31 to the Calgary Stampeders, dropping their record to three and two. We all saw the game. We all know what happened. Going to start with the big news, obviously. Trevor Harris, the knee injury basically a broken knee. Um, they didn't rule him out for the year. Wishful thinking on my end. He like that. First off, it, it was bad. It looked really, really bad. It uh, doesn't matter where you were sitting. You, you saw it in the stadium. And then apparently on TSN, they just kept showing the replay over and over and over again. Like, Stop doing thi- that guys. They thighsmaned him. Yeah. Um, but that injury just absolutely brutal. 
And I mean, you never see anybody want to get hurt uh, playing sports. We know it's a, it's the thing it, it happens. It's going to happen, but you always hate when you see it. And to see a guy who, you know, only has less than six full games into his rider career go down with an injury. It, it was just, it was devastating. It was like the hush over that stadium. I've never seen it go that quiet before. You knew it was serious when players from both teams were immediately on one knee. It wasn't one of those high five, oh, guys down, kind of wandering around. Then everyone everyone went down to him. It was almost immediate where the Stampeders were on one knee by the pile trying to find out what's going on with him. That was definitely like one of the most surreal moments. Of, well, especially at New Mosaic, but anytime I've been to a Ryder game. don't see that with a lot of guys that shows you one just how much respect trevor harris has around this league and two like you said how serious that injury was right out of the gate i'm guessing players heard something and knew right away that that was not good i mean anybody watching you knew as soon as the guy fell on his leg it was not going to end well and that silence was awful I don't think I've ever heard it like that at either Mosaic or Taylor Field. It was just nothing. You could hear a pin drop from anywhere in the stadium. It was insane. Now, the thing about that play that actually doesn't get talked about in the grand scheme of things was that it set up a third and one. So it was actually a really important run that Harris had. The Riders get the first down, subsequently go and, and get points on that drive, which they would have happened if, if he didn't have that run. So... Um, I mean, we all wish Trevor Harris the best and hopefully the team is onto something when they're not ruling him out for the year. And maybe we see him late in the season, but I'm not getting my hopes up on that because that looked bad and I just can't see that happening. So no, a lot of people are saying, and this is what we said about Jeremiah Mazzoli last week was that at that age, well, you have to start thinking about, are you, are you going to come back? Trevor Harris will come back from this. This isn't the way he's going to go out. He hasn't really had that same injury history that Mazzoli has had. And with Harris being doing the TB12 diet, with him just being a, a nutrition freak, you know, a, a, in the in the gym all the time, like just, I can't see how this is the end for him. The good news with the question mark is this was a break. This isn't a ligament tear. This was a break. So bones typically screw, pin, whatever, heals on heals on its own, usually stronger in the end. But yeah, like it was, that was, I wouldn't want to wish that upon anybody. That was bad. No, and it, it's additionally bad because he was, I think it was a hundred and some yards short of 30,000 yards for his career. He was going to hit that at some point, either this game or next week. Those are milestones you want to be able to celebrate. And I don't want to see a guy end what I feel like is a Hall of Fame CFL career. Maybe on the cusp, but I don't want to see it end, you know, short of a milestone on a play like that. I, I feel like he will come back. And if you look at his Instagram post, he's already said he's coming back. He's, he's not ending it like this. There's no chance that's how he goes out. And he's asked himself the question, why me? But not in the way most players would. I love everything about his, uh, his post after his surgery because 
that's the positive attitude that you you like to see and hopefully it bodes them well for the next four six eight ten weeks however long the uh the healing process starts and takes i'm with you alex i don't see any way he comes back this year not not with every recovery plan i've seen as a you know google doctor but my my doctorate took me 12 minutes so maybe don't trust it all that much so you did uh, your own research always uh funny you mentioned a doctor because uh surprise we're going to talk about that a little bit later on i have a question for you guys uh you guys are going to play doctor google here as well uh, but let's focus on the positives of this game Craig, you looked really confused by that. Um, well, you asked me to play doctor. And I'm like, whoa. It's been a, it's been a week. Okay. Um, the positives of this game, you're not gonna find too many, but Mario friggin' Alfred, and I can't believe this guy has played only 19 games as a rider, and already has the franchise record for most return touchdowns with six. This guy is a threat to score every single time. It, I thought he was going to break a third one, actually, in that game. So to have two punt returns in that game was just, it was wild. I've never seen anything like that. Um, closest I saw was or was Corey Holmes back in 2005. Um, so Mario Alford, absolute beast. And just put him on offense already. Give him a screen pass here or there. Give him a hitch. Give him a jet sweep, something. Get him into space. This guy needs to touch the ball because you look at the last couple games, he's the only guy that's been a threat. The Riders offense has been non-existent against Edmonton and then against Calgary here until the last couple minutes of the game. Non-existent. So they're scoring their only touchdowns from Mario Alford. You've got to get this guy the ball. Well, that offense was flat, like flat with or without Trevor Harris. That... Well, at the half, what was it, 84 yards? Total off. 25 yards passing. It was just nothing was working. And if it wasn't for, yeah, Mario Alford, especially that first half, keeping the riders in the game, that could have been out of control in a hurry. The, the dude knew is like right me. off the. You knew right off the bat it was going to be a tough game for the offense. Very first play of the game for the offense, Trevor Harris uh, underthrew a wide open receiver. And if he's if he hits him on the run, he's still running. He's at Moose Jaw, like he had, he was long gone. There was nobody near him, and he just missed it. And that's been the the theme all season is just about there. Dropped balls, you know, missed throws. They just can't seem to put all of it together at once. But this is a game that had two phases going well, and the offense just couldn't couldn't get started, let alone keep it going. You thought the defense was doing well? I think they did. Uh, yeah, maybe it was one phase. Maybe I'm combining my memory from the Edmonton and Calgary games. Well, no, but even during the game, I texted you guys saying two out of three phases ain't bad. The defense was doing okay, but at the end, I don't know if it was personnel or play calling. They just gave up way too many too much yards when they should have. Okay, well let's 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 jump to that defense then because this is the this is the part of the game that really really cheesed me off was the defense. Jake Mayer and I've said it before is an average at absolute best quarterback. Any good quarterback had receivers 15 yards open like Mayer did in this game. That team wins by 30 plus. 
the fact that the stamps didn't blow out the riders, especially when the riders weren't moving the ball on offense, just goes to show how bad Jake Mayer is. He had guys wide open. Yeah, he got the ball to them, but not in stride. A lot of them had to slide down to get the ball. But the Riders' defense was just awful. And Jeremy Clark, no kidding, this guy got benched this year because he was just brutal. And he's probably going to play again this week because of the injuries. So, like, I, I don't know what Shivers, Jason Shivers is doing here, whether it's just play calling and, and the zone that they're playing, but they're playing so soft right now. And when you have injuries in the defensive backfield, this is one of those kiss things. Keep it simple, stupid. Play man. These guys can all play man defense. You cover one guy. When you start putting young guys in there and you start throwing different zone schemes in there, it gets confusing. Do I have this guy or this guy when they cross? Do I stay in this zone? Do I drop back? Like there's just so much going on. And I think that was the main problem in this game was that Jeremy Clark was getting just beat hard. Um, and the rest of the defense was pretty much non-existent. Like they were just wide open guys everywhere. Bag Bagleton was basically living in that zone between Clark and the uh, deep back the entire time. Like it was constantly anytime mayor scrambled out of trouble there was bagleton right there in the soft part of the zone i have no idea what clark was doing but that was just it was always him it was always him i i have a bit of a tough time hanging the dbs out to dry we've been we've been saying it week after week ever since the second week of the season a lot of this falls back on that defensive line too we're, we're talking we're five games into the year and outside of that first game against Edmonton, they, the quarterbacks have basically set up camp in the backfield and, and had all the time in the world. I th This was a total team, team effort on defense, if you ask me. That defensive line needs to... I don't know if it's a, a scheme. I don't know if it's personnel. I don't know what it is. But one sack, two sacks now, I guess, in four games and minimal pressure is not going to do it. You're not going to win football games. You're not going to hold receivers or defense. Or sorry, you're not going to hold offenses. I got there eventually to, uh, you know, minimal points when your quarterback has all the time in the world. Simple as that. If there was showers at Craven that had more pressure than a defensive line and stunk half as bad. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, like they couldn't do anything. It's. And we had such high hopes going in the season. I know we keep on saying that, but you look at man across man to man across that line, that front seven should be causing havoc. And it's not until they get to the second level to the, till they get to the linebackers is anything actually happening. They are causing havoc. The problem is, is it's on our side of the ball, not for our side of the line, not theirs. Well, and nothing bothered me more about this game than that second last play of the game right before the game-winning field goal by Paredes. From that point where the ball was with seven seconds left, that's a 58-yard field goal. Yes, you might have the most clutch kicker on your team. That's still a tough one. That's a really tough field goal. Their only play is a five-yard play, is a five-yard pass. The Riders are playing 10 yards off the receivers. What are you doing? Like, that's schemes. That's... That has to be on Jason Shivers. You have to play press. If you play press, the only thing that they can do is throw the ball away or take a shot deep. 
And that's probably going to take more than seven seconds if they do that. So the coaching, and we're going to talk about Craig Dickinson and some of his decisions as well. To me, the coaching really lost this game. I think they outcoached themselves. And we've seen some questionable decisions so far this season in, in coaching. And it finally bit them. It finally caught up to them. And I hope it's a learning experience for them because I was really upset with the coaching staff. To me, this this whole thing was on coaching. Nothing bigger than than that last play, though. Like I, I just don't understand why you're playing that far off. Yeah, it made no sense, especially considering Parrot has already had a what a 54, 53 yarder earlier in the game. Yep. So yeah, you you need to keep him 55 plus. Because yeah, he is consistent, but yeah, once he hits that 50 range, they're, they're low and just get over that uh crossbar. So the fact they were playing that deep and giving him that much of a cushion, they put him right in Paradise's wheelhouse. That wasn't even the most questionable defensive or coaching play of the game. Now you've got it marked down a little bit later on our uh our lineup here, but lining on the flip side, lining Brett Lothar, who's had injury issues to to boot a 54 yarder in a three-point game. Questionable at best. And that's being that's being generous. That was one of the worst decisions I think I've seen in a while. Now normally I would say yes, Brett Lothar, even with the struggles he's had this year, yes, put him out there from 54. I trust him. Uh, but the fact that he hasn't, he didn't practice all last week, he's nursing an injury. Why would you attempt that? This is one of those, like, I, I know this decision goes with what Craig Dickinson has done all season long, being aggressive, get the points, go for first downs, all that kind of stuff. I know this fits in with that. And I wrote about this on pivotalspodcast.com. You can find that is that it, it seems like he's just doing, he's coaching to try and keep his job as opposed to each individual situation. And this situation, that field goal, that 54-yard field goal, with everything going on, that's a punt. You should be punting that ball away. Adam Corsak's a very, very good punter. We have learned that this year. He'll pin them deep. Take your chances with your defense that you'll get a stop, maybe after a first down or two with how open they were leaving the receivers. But take the chances that you'll get a stop and you'll get the ball back and you get a chance to score a touchdown. That was, yeah, that was a very bad call to me. And the worst part is when you're kicking a field goal that deep and you miss, that is a return for a mile usually because the guys are still blocking for the field goal because you know they're coming because the kick is usually going to be low. So it's not like they're going to back off a little bit and come for return. So... I, I always hate that when they're going for that. If it's one thing when you know your kicker's got it and can hit those in his sleep, Lothar's not that guy right now. And that instantly flipped the field to Calgary. Like huge. Okay, so further to that point with Brett Lothar, um obviously he's he's not right. The the injuries there, whatever else is going on, just him missing extra points early in the season, it's in between his ears as well. Do you sit him for a game or two and go with Campbell Fair just to see what he has? Because I think I do. I think I probably set Lothar for this game, and I know he's going to really push to play in touchdown Atlantic, but 
if he if he can't practice, I'm not putting him in the game. You said it right there. He's already missed the first practice of this week. So we're already looking at another week where he might be sitting out all week just to kick on game day. My problem with Brett Lothar, it's it's not so much that he's missing, it's that he's short. The leg doesn't seem to be there. If, if he's hurt even a little bit, sit him for a week. Rest him for this week. See how he is next week. But if he ain't practicing, he ain't playing. It's as simple as that. Give Campbell Fair a shot. See what he's got. See if you've got anybody behind Lothar that can be reliable in case you need it. And let Lothar rest. It's just inconceivable that you would throw a guy out there for a 50-plus yarder. And yes, I'm sure he went to to Lothar and said, are you, are you good? Do you have the leg for this? And every player is going to say yes to that. We know that. Of course. History. No, no player is going to go, no, nah, coach, I'm going to sit this one out. You know, I don't want to make the big play. But he, he's not he's not 100%. If he's not practicing, he is not 100%. And if he's not 100%, he shouldn't be trotting out there. Really simple as that. So what you're saying is Lothar's not Kyle Loxley. No, he is not. Okay, well, let's uh, flip to another Craig Dickinson um, thing that's kind of blown up here over the last couple of days. This um, made me so mad. The Mason Fine Hail Mary touchdown to Tevin Jones. <laughs> one, on third and 24. Um, two, for Fine to get it out of the pocket when there was pressure immediately on him. And again, we can stress on the O-line because they gave both quarterbacks no time at all that entire game. Evan Johnson, terrible. Um but I digress. Tevin Jones gets a lucky bounce on an underthrown ball that should have been intercepted or knocked down. Gets the ball, jukes out the last defender, scores a touchdown. Riders go ahead with the extra point. Once he caught the ball, I, I thought he was probably going to get tackled. I didn't think he'd get past that last defender. I, I kind of just thought, okay, there's lots of time on the clock. That's all right. Not a big deal. He scores. I'm like, yes, high five and everything around. And then I looked at the clock. I'm like, okay, now there's too much time on the clock. I'm like, but at the same time, you score there every single time. You don't know what's going to happen. So one, I think we all agree that yes, you score there, right? I don't think you guys are opposed to hundred percent. Right? And in that quick second, you don't have time to stop and look up at the clock because you're going to get absolutely popped by somebody. So Craig Dickinson said post game, he told Tevin Jones next time, maybe look at the clock and slide down on the one. And Tevin Jones reiterated that himself. I should have looked at the clock and slid down at the one. No, 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 no. That's not the play. You score every time you can. If you're leading by one point and you make a play like that, yes, you go down at the one and kill some clock, especially in the NFL where you can actually kill the clock. CFL, it's a little bit harder to do that with the, with time rules. But what's your guys' take on Craig Dickinson post game? And, and to be fair, he said after that, I mean, Tevin Jones does have to try and score there. So it felt like it was a really weird time to make a kind of a sarcasm comment, a sarcastic comment by Craig Dickinson about taking a look at the clock. Like to me that it just felt weird. This was the time where Craig just said, I love the guy and just moved on. Cause that was his catchphrase last year. 
it's I don't know if it was open mic night or he's trying a new comedy routine just in case he gets fired. It was just why even say that? Because it then it became a story. It legitimately didn't need to be a thing. Is like it, all he could have said, Devin battled hard. He scored. We could we should have made a few more plays on defense. That's all you had to say there. And everyone would go, yo, you know, you're right, coach. That's exactly what probably should have happened. But just rewinding back, can we talk about the arm on Mason Fine on that throw? I cannot believe he hit that th- that pass that deep while running on the run for a guy like that's like five two wearing platform shoes. Like that was a hell of a throw. But yeah, like Craig, I don't know what you're thinking, man. Just dumb comment. You no, know, if the Riders were down by two and a field goal win, even then I could say sure, go down at the one. Trust your kicker to make a nine yard field goal. If you can't trust your kicker to make a nine-yarder, you maybe need a new kicker. But if you're down, we were down six. We needed a score. There's no question there that he's got to run that in. Could he pull a Willie Jefferson and run along the end zone for a few seconds? Sure. But you know what? He was probably like the rest of the 30,000 people in the stands. All he was thinking about was, holy crap, how is this in my hands? Go. Like, I don't think there's a single fan there in the time between he caught the ball when he caught the ball and when he went down that thought, hey, he should probably stop there. Unless they were wearing red. It's just it's nonsense to even think that. And for Craig to come out and honestly throw a player under the bus is very unlike him compared to what we've seen in the past. And I and I just don't understand why he does it. All that's going to do is get in Tevin Jones's head. And that's the last thing you need when we're down an entire starting receiving core is to now get into another guy's head and and get him thinking about every like little decision. Just questionable at best and add it to a long list of really questionable coaching calls in an already, you know, we're talking 5 games into the year. And I think we can look back at every single game and pinpoint two or three things and go, that was kind of dumb. It... We get rid of the, the coaching cap and coaching salary cap and you know, get the best guys in the position because I don't think Craig Dickinson is it. No, and I think everybody knows that. That's going to help Edmonton. <laughs> we don't want that. Not wrong. Uh, well, we'll talk about Mason Fine uh, when we look ahead to the BC game and, and I guess what we're expecting out of him, what we hope to see to help him out. We'll talk about all that in a little bit. Uh, talk about some injuries. Um, day one of camp, or day one of practice for this week was Tuesday as we record this, so we only have the one day. Uh, but we did get some updates. Um, Brandon Council back at left tackle. Uh, instead of Eric Lofton, which is a huge upgrade. I don't think Council's been amazing, but he definitely hasn't been bad. He's been he's been pretty good, um, but that's a big upgrade for sure on the O line. Uh, but bad news there as well. Peter Godber still out. Maybe we'll see him in a week or two. Is is kind of what we're hearing. Hopefully that's the case because Logan Bandy. He was. I mean. You look at Calgary's front four, their defensive tackles. You got Wigan, you got Rose. Those guys are two of the absolute best in the CFL. And Bandy looked exactly how 
I would probably look trying to block those guys. Like it was non-existent. And when you have Evan Johnson beside you, not even moving when the ball is snapped and pray. pray. Yeah. Like you need to have Peter Godber back. So hopefully we see him in the next week or so on the other side in the trenches, Anthony Lanier, Pete Robertson out on day one. I would expect Robertson to play uh, based on him playing last week. Lanier, I have no idea. Um, but the trenches right now, guys are just getting absolutely beat up. And we see that games are won and lost in the trenches. And when you look at what BC has with their O-line playing well and their defensive line with Matthew Betts, and we're going to talk about Matthew Betts a little bit, that's not good for the Riders. No. Um, got some updates on receivers as well, too. Keen Schaefer-Baker is still going to be a little bit before he comes back. Jake Wenicke still a couple weeks away. The good news, though, is Braden Linnaeus uh, returned to practice. He has one more game to go on the six-game list. Sounds like he'll play next week against Toronto. I know a lot of people were thinking, are you guys going to bring him off one game early? I can't see that happening. So help me God, if they do next week, we might have to find a curse filter because that is going to be one of the dumbest things Dickie ever does. Save the money on the cap. If you're going to miss five games, you might as well miss the sixth, unless it's a must win. And it's not like the Canadian receivers have been an issue for the Riders with uh, Picton and MLS um, stepping up over the last couple weeks. It'll be nice to have Linius back. Don't get me wrong, but it's not a necessity right now. Cause if you bring him back one game too early, something happens. Now you look like a fool. Yeah. Bringing him back. Save the 50 K on the cap. Yeah. Bringing him back to play BC in a game where like, thank God Ottawa and Winnipeg have that or Edmonton and Ottawa, uh, Edmonton and Winnipeg have that really uh, skewed line this week or the riders BC line might be the highest one this week. Because, uh, spoiler alert, I'm probably not taking the Riders this week. Spoiler alert, look at the hat I'm wearing. I'm probably not taking them either. Um, okay, so further to these injuries. these in- I don't think I've ever seen a team or a league get beat up from injuries, especially through just six weeks of a season like we have this year. This is an insane amount of injuries to... The Riders, Edmonton has a ton. Calgary had a bunch. Like it's just Hamilton losing both their starting or their top two quarterbacks. So what what is it? Is this just the way it is with pro sports now, especially in football? The game's just so physical that you're gonna have so many injuries. Is it the turf at Mosaic Stadium? Because we saw guys getting hurt in drills in 2019 and four Achilles tears. Um, and then guys getting hurt in 2021 or sorry, it was 2021 with all those. Um, but 2022, a lot of injuries as well too. We're seeing a ton this year. Like what's, what's going on here? Uh, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's people smarter out there with more letters behind their names than me that can tell you what's actually going on here. But you have to think with, with all the extra training and all the off season workouts, like guys don't technically rest anymore. It to be a pro athlete, you're going 
24 7 365 you're always training diet it's a grind and the human body is a is a machine and it can only go so far the fact that tom brady has played this long uh, played this long at the level he did surprised a lot of people but his diet he was lucky he could eat anything that was uh, not a shade of taupe because of his weird diet just to try to to prolong his career and keep himself healthy like the guys are getting bigger stronger faster but with that comes more wear and tear on the muscles and the joints and the ligaments and the tendons and it breaks down everything breaks down i i do wonder because we've seen a lot of it over the last 3 4 years especially i wonder if the lack of padded practices is playing a part in injuries across the league as well. Because guys don't line up. They don't line up in practice. They don't pad up. They don't take those hits. They don't, they aren't remembering how to tackle. There's a lot of tackling issues. All of that combined could be, it could be playing a role in uh, the injuries that we're seeing. To me, that's the one thing that stands out above all else. Because we've seen the the athletic side of things for quite a while now. That hasn't changed, but what has? What's changed over the last five years that has caused a, a massive increase in injuries league-wide? For the riders, it was Ivan leaving. So that makes me wonder. And, <laughs> and this is a serious, serious thing. I would actually really like to hear from <clears throat> head athletic therapist Greg Mayer. Because he sees all the injuries, knows all about that kind of stuff and dealing with the rehabs and all. He knows all that kind of stuff. That's a guy I'd like to hear from. Um, I'm not sure how much he'd actually be able to say in terms of what's causing injuries. But I'm really curious because it seemed like it's almost like its own endemic in the league is that these injuries are getting more and more and more. And eventually it's going to hurt the game when you're losing your star players. You have going into the season, your top three quarterbacks on paper, we're going to be Vernon Adams, Trevor Harris, and Bo Levi Mitchell. And two of those three are out. Zach Laros. So and Zach Laros. Yeah. Well, Winnipeg's whatever. They look so beatable, especially after losing to Ottawa. Um, they don't <laughs> even count anymore. And they're going to lose to Edmonton. Um, oh, no, they're not. No, they're not. Could you imagine though? Um, I'm I'm just really like it's, there's so many injuries, and I've heard Derek Dennis talk about the turf in Calgary and what they're playing on. So is that a thing as well too? Like I think there's so many factors, but I'd be really interested to hear from athletic therapists around the CFL just to what they think is the cause of all these injuries. But I definitely think the rise of field turf has definitely not helped. Um, like I've heard horror stories of uh, uh, fields not being properly um, cushioned, so to speak with the pebbles it's been put pressed down. It's not the same as playing on grass. And that's what reason why the NFL pushes for grass stadiums, even in the indoor ones where they truck the grass out and truck it back in. It's, there's a reason why they're, they're getting a lot of professional leagues around the world are getting away from the fake grass because you can't replace the real thing. 
Well, that's the opening kickoff presented by Kathy Festion of Royal LePage, Regina Realty. We're going to jump now to our Churchill Brewing Company odds and end zones, uh, taking a look around the CFL. And we'll start with the Edmonton Elks. They had that first game last week, losing, of course, because they were at home, uh, pushing the uh, losing streak to 20 straight home games, which is mind-boggling. In Tied a record. Tied the record with, what was that, Cleveland Barons? Uh, Cleveland, uh, no, it was the St. Louis Browns that moved to Browns. Yes. Um, so obviously the big talker there is about Chris Jones. Fire Chris Jones. That's all I'm seeing everywhere. Fire Chris Jones, fire Chris Jones. Ain't happening. As GM, it makes sense because you have G. Roy Simon there to step up and take over as GM roles. With the way that they're structured with Chris Jones doing GM head coach and defensive coordinator. All of a sudden you need a new head coach. Okay. Sure. You could probably put Jarius Jackson or Steven McAdoo in that spot, I guess, as the interim coach. I mean, they're zero and six. They're not going to make the playoffs. They'll be lucky to win cowards. What do you do at defensive coordinator? You put Demetrius Maxey, a defensive line coach there. Maybe I like, I don't know, but none of these guys, if you fire Chris Jones, none of these guys are back next year. So why would you want to go forward finishing out this year with guys, you know, you're not going to bring back to me. That makes no sense. At least when Bobby Dice got his interim job in Ottawa, it was a tryout. None of these guys are going to be back. So do you guys think Chris Jones gets fired? Because I don't. No, Chris Jones is a no matter what anyone says, Chris Jones is a genius. He hires guys to work on anything that are just capable enough to do the job, but not good enough to surpass him. So they can't get rid of him. They legit cannot get rid of him because there's no one on staff. And with the coaching cap, they can't they can't just bring someone in. This is this is how. Chris Jones going to the uh, Browns was probably the best thing that happened to the Riders because this was probably what was going to happen to the Riders. And it kind of did because on his way out, he made sure everyone got an extension, which hamstrung the Riders, which is why we got Coach Dickey. Because if that didn't happen and they could have cleaned house in the old system, it would have been complete, like a clean slate. But we had to hire within. So that's how Dickinson got his job. No one expected him to ever be a head coach. Like Chris Jones does this wherever he goes, and it's great to finally see it's not happening to us. With Victor Queek coming out and saying that the the contract is not the four one year deals like was reported on Three Down Nation, that it is a four year deal, there is zero chance that they're going to throw away two years of GM, head coach, DC, water boy, janitor, hotel organizer. Like Chris Queen Jones Rear. wears too many hats to even think about firing him at this point or honestly next year, either there's too much money there, too many open spots and not enough money to fill it. And that comes again. We, we talked, I talked about it earlier. The, the coach's cap is going to wreck this league. The fact that guys are basically stuck with people they don't want because they cannot hire people to replace them is awful. And it stops Guys from getting those promotions, guys moving on, we're stuck with the old the old boys club. You know, 
it's it's a nonstop cycle that will not end as long as that calf is in place. And as much fun as it is to watch the Elks lose, and Lord knows we all grew up in an era where they didn't do that often, we love watching the team lose. But I'm not celebrating the current state of their franchise. It's not good for the league in any stretch. And if firing Chris Jones tomorrow could help them, as much as I hate it as a Ryder fan, I love it as a CFL. You need a strong team in Edmonton. And right now, in my opinion, as long as he's there, you don't have that. Also on this note, can we stop blaming Victor Kui for apparently handing Chris Jones the keys to the kingdom? Jones was hired by the Edmonton board before Kui was brought on. Edmonton did this completely uh, bass backwards. I said it when they did it. It makes no sense. And this is why we're stuck like this. So if you blame anybody, blame Wally Buono. Because he was hired by the board as an advisor for that. I thought he didn't recommend him. He recommended someone else and they went, they did not listen to his recommendations. Is that what it was? I can't see how I remember the story. Chris Jones. I can't see. Well, then that's exactly it. He, I can't remember. I'll have to look it up. That's not who he recommended. And the board went around and hired Chris Jones instead. They ignored Wally's suggestions. Yeah. What does he know about coaching in the CFL? Um, get off the field, Wally. <laughs> Sorry, can't hear his name you without yelling. If you didn't do it, I was going to. Wally, <laughs> and I miss the days of Wally Buono on the sidelines and center field. Taylor field, because it was just <laughs> it was fun. Those was chants, just say like field. that Wally chant, were some of the greatest fan moments. It was just fun. It wasn't even hate. It was just. One guy would start it, and all of a sudden, oh, you'd have 30,000 people screaming, Wally, for it's like, it's like It was great. It's like wrestling. Like, the bad guy, if he, if he gets reaction, that's a good thing. That means people actually like you, and, and you're doing well for something. If they're not giving you anything, if the fans aren't giving you anything, that's not good, right? And that's, you know, it kind of has that same feel with Wally Buono back at Taylor Field. It was it was out of respect, honestly. It really and was. And the Henry chance, same thing. Like we we don't get the chance. People anymore. hated Henry Burris. Uh, yeah, I know. Well, yeah, thing. there's people at Henry, but <laughs> still, like, believe me, my my daughter was was like three or four at the time, and I had her doing the Henry chance. Like, but you don't get that. Like, I kind of miss that. You don't get that anymore. Like, there's no one chanting anything at. It's just like just loud screaming and cowbells now. It's not the same. Or or fan horns if you're in Montreal. God, I hate those things. Okay. Uh the crumbback. <laughs> I hate that name. Um Ottawa. So I'm <laughs> we get up to uh the Havana Platinum area at uh, Mosaic Stadium, uh me and Dallas. Uh Ooh, you fancy Toronto. Yeah, exactly. Free upgrades, baby. Um Got to, there was a couple TVs. We looked, it was 25 to nine. There was just under three minutes left. We're like, oh, okay, this game's done. All of a sudden we look up, pick six. Okay. Curious that Kalaros is throwing in that position, but all right, sure. The, okay, well, they still need the two point and the touchdown and a two point. Winnipeg still got this. Ottawa gets the two point conversion. Okay. They get the ball back with a minute and... Crum having that game tying touchdown was something I won't forget for a while because 
he absolutely made Adam Big Hill look foolish. He digged him out of his pants. Um, and that doesn't happen to Adam Big Hill ever, uh, let alone with the game on the line like that. And it was it was a sight to behold. And then they get the two-point convert. Places going wild. We're just like, we can't believe this is going on. We almost missed the, the bring them out um, because we're watching the, the overtime. Crumb gets the touchdown to win the game. And I couldn't believe it. But, I mean, that helps out, especially with the Riders losing. Uh, now they still have just the same amount of losses as Winnipeg, so that's very important in the standings. But it showed me a couple things. One, that, okay, well, if if Crum is for real, that's a good thing. That's a good thing for the CFL that this guy can kind of come out of nowhere, start one, beat the almighty Bombers, and especially in a place that's struggled especially to get home wins. Now they have two in a row. Like that's a, that's a good thing for the league. Um, but it also showed me that Winnipeg's very, very beatable. And we've talked about how they've kind of gone down a little bit over the, the course of the year uh, from the last couple of years, but going into Winnipeg or sorry, going into Ottawa and blowing it the way that they did shows me that this team doesn't really need to be feared anymore. It showed me that Ottawa doesn't have a lot of wins and this being like what their second most important win in franchise history. Yeah. Milt Stiegel saying this is the biggest win the team has had since the 2016 Grey Cup. And he's 100% right because when you're only averaging three wins a season, it's kind of hard to pick one that means more. Uh, and you're doing it against the, a team that has for the last few years, while they may be on their downslide now, has been the, the top of the mountain. They've been team to beat. You know, they don't lose a lot. So to pull that comeback against such a top-tier team in their eyes, it's a big deal. It is celebratory worthy. But the way that they're going about it, my God. The shirts? You don't like the shirts? I think they're great, but it's it's a little over the top for me. Could you imagine if this is how Ottawa responds to a win like that? Imagine what happens when Hamilton win a great wins a great cup in 2036. They're Dude. gonna go nuts. They're gonna burn that city to the ground. Hey, I'm just saying coming up with a clever t-shirt after a victory and selling a lot of them is a good idea. <laughs> I know someone who did it. We did it for charity. Auto is trying to do it for uh for dollar dollar bills, y'all. So that's fine, but this is the marketing. I, I like this idea. This is the marketing that the league should do. I still I still can't believe that we jumped up, jumped on the Jesus Sprinkles thing, and the riders was like, I don't know, whatever, it's a thing. Go ahead, do what you want to do with it. So we did. But the fact that Ottawa's smart enough to jump on it and grab this momentum while people are still have it fresh in their head, it's going to be a good thing for the league. We need more of this. They should have done this back in the day when Rocky Butler, uh, the Rocky Butler game. If they had shirts made up or something like that, I guarantee Ryder fans would have bought them. People would still be wearing the games now. I see like 93 uh, Grey Cup shirts all the time. Like, but They look like they're, uh, they're preserved. Like I'm sure they keep them in like Vaxio bags. <laughs> um, elsewhere around the CFL, Matthew Schultz placed on the six-game list. Um by Hamilton, Taylor Powell's oh, gonna start against Toronto. Uh Toronto. Mr. Perfect there was one for one for a touchdown. Yeah. 
Um, Ty Gats did sign Antonio Pipkin um, out of necessity, basically. Um, I don't know. That's just I I I I, 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 I my heart goes out to tie cat fans like they got nothing to look forward to this year with the Grey Cup coming because it's just getting worse and worse. I can't honestly imagine what it feels like to sit and watch a year where your team is hosting the Grey Cup and you know damn well you're not going to be in it. That must feel awful. I've never experienced it as a Ryder fan other than every other time we hosted it, but 2013. I'd, I'd, oh, hope, I'd hope it. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'd hope in 2003. Yeah, they, they got screwed out of a home playoff game in 2003 to begin with. Uh, but they also and, had that, almost had that comeback against Edmonton in the West final. Yeah. It was close, way, man. Way to ruin the punchline, you dicks. <laughs> That's what we're hey. here for, bud. <laughs> Sorry, you're, you're sure blinded me from the joke you were about to tell, so I couldn't get the visual cues. Um, and one more, it's a top notch shirt. One more thing here, uh, pro football focus. And we kind of joked about this last week and their grading of players, their weekly CFL honor roll. Um, I have no problems with how they're going to try and figure things out. I know it's all based off of formulas and numbers and all that kind of stuff. Math. How, how the hell does Kobe Williams, who exactly? On special teams, grade out higher than Mario Alford for special teams, best special teams player of the week, when Mario Alford had two punt return touchdowns. This has nothing to do with the fact that he's a rider and didn't get one. I don't know how it, it's the tenth fan time, called it out. It's the a tenth time in CFL history that a kick that a the same person had two punt returns and the same touchdown. And Gizmo had three of those. So this has only been done by like six guys. How that doesn't get you this honor roll thing is completely beyond me. Like when you're trying to market your stars and that's what this is doing, you're not marketing them very well. If you're throwing up, oh, this guy graded out at a 90. Okay, well, what's it out of? Is it out of 100? Because if you ask me, Mario Alford was a 300 out of 100. Yeah, that made no sense to me either. But like I said, I didn't really... I saw it come up. I didn't really pay attention to it. And then um, it wasn't until I saw Deb uh, of the Stamps uh, fans there pointed out. And she was mad. It's like, how is Alford not a, not one of these players? Cause and she's right. Like she's like, she would rather have Alford in there to help the league than have one of her own uh, players in there. It's just, I like they're trying new things and they're trying to do all the stat stuff, but they still can't shoot straight when it comes to this stuff i i loved the idea of the pff stats before we started to see the reality of them but again the fact that montreal's o-line is basically the top four of five spots on their on their rankings through five gate or through five weeks or six weeks is ridiculous in fact that mario alford is second to kobe williams ridiculous but we're seeing this in Every week, there's somewhere where you look at it and just laugh at the numbers. And you know what? If its purpose is to get chatter and get people talking about it, it works. But it's not being talked about in a positive way. Nobody's looking at these things and going, you know what? I agree with that. That makes perfect sense. 
There's no explanation as to why these numbers are the way they are, how they're graded this way. It's just, here's some numbers. Outside of Derek Taylor, does anybody give a damn? Like, the, the high-level stat nerds, that's it. You know, go back to the, the you know, special teams player of the week, offensive, defensive player of the week, most outstanding Canadian of the week. Give us those every week like they used to. Make it a celebration. This just, PFF stuff, it just has to go. When you're marketing, you have to dumb it down. Make it so everybody understands it. That's it. Oh, that guy had two touchdowns? Celebrate him. That's it. Done. But oh, I can't wait till Co- I can't wait till Kobe Williams is an all-star and Mario Alfred is the special teams player of the year. Yeah. So very, very CFL. Because because even even when the CFL wasn't using fancy numbers, they still couldn't get it right either. Yeah. All right. Well, let's look at this Riders game against BC coming up this Saturday at 5 p.m. I think we're all expecting BC to win, but this is the first game of the now Mason Fine era. This could be a ve- this could be a 2019 Zach Claros Cody Fajardo thing, where <laughs> we get a star quarterback out of nowhere that leads the Riders to basically the promised land. Uh, hopefully, it doesn't have the same ending as Cody Fajardo here in Saskatchewan, but you guys know what I'm trying to say here. Um, Can he turn left? He might have to with this O line. I don't know. Um, but my question to you about this game, um, my first one, is what does Mason Fine need to succeed as the Riders' starting quarterback now? An offensive line. No, I know line that doesn't resemble a colander. Really that simple. See, Just and I think the way that walk. you can do that is by having great play calling. Um, I think the tandem of having a poor O-line, but if you can have good play calling to suit to their strengths. So Kelly Jeffrey has to be, he has to almost have just a perfect game here for Mason fine to pull out a win, whether it's short passes, whether it's screens, whether it's a lot of running the ball with Jamal Morrow, just to get the, you know, the guys blocking run blocking, which is their strength, not pass blocking. Um, I think he's got to be creative and it's got to be a lot of dink and dunk stuff because this O-line just isn't giving enough time to have plays develop. And what I've seen from this offense so far, especially with Trevor Harris at the, at the helm is that it was a lot of long developing plays. So they need to basically scrap that because it's not going to happen and maybe dumb it down for Mason fine. Not that he can't execute a, a more flashier offense or whatever, but just, it's because it's because of the old line, like you guys said. So I want to see Kelly Jeffrey. To me, this is the real test for him. What is he made out of? Because he now he has a young quarterback with a porous O line instead of a vet quarterback with a porous O line. My my serious answer is they actually need to. You're right. Play calling. I think they need to go to a play action based offense. Morrow Hickson. Plus, you can do the play options. Uh, uh, fine proved he can move. I think you need to get that defense on their heels. And as proven by that Hail Mary that he threw that bounced off a couple of Calgary defensive backs before Tevin Jones took it to the house. Uh, he does have a bit of an arm on him too. So you should be able to get the defense moving around to where you want them. And then you can start uh, throwing those passes. 
But yeah, they he, they have to get that defensive line on their heels because the last thing you need is Matthew Betts just destroying you all game. But I think the one thing you said there stands out the most with with Mason Fine. At least you have an, the ability to move the pocket around. One disadvantage to Trevor Harris is is he's not the most mobile quarterback out there. The flip side is he knows how to get rid of the ball. So he works with what he's got. Mason Fine can at least move around and make things happen with his legs, which may force the defense to stay honest a little bit. And we saw on uh, on Saturday, he has a cannon for an arm. But Alex, you're right. It needs to be short, simple, get the ball out of his hands. They have a ton of playmakers on the offense and on the bench, Mario offered, to, to get guys moving. Get the ball in their hands and keep Mason fine upright because the, the old line's not going to get better next week. Not against that defensive line. It's going to be terrifying. Like this is the epitome of throw him to the fire. Now with Matthew Betts having the season that he's having already having nine sacks in, they've only played five games. I think that's something you can try to exploit because this guy's just going to pin his ears back and go. And especially against the Riders O line, he's just going. I wonder if they try to attack him a little bit, throw the ball towards him, run towards him. Um, I don't like that's just that seems to be the way that offenses seem to try and stop guys like him. Use so, his aggressiveness to your advantage is the yeah, best exactly. way to neutralize it. If you know a guy that's he's always going to pin his ears back, either you make him move to where he's not comfortable. So hopefully. Jeffries is watching a lot of film and trying to figure out how to throw him off. Uh, flipping over to the other side, the Riders' defense. Uh, <coughs> Vernon Adams has a plethora of receivers, easily the best receiving group in the league, in my mind. Uh, when they're all healthy, these guys are just incredible. Um, I have a lot of worries about this. Now, in the first week of practice, Jeremy Clark wasn't in the halfback position. He was put out at corner. Um, and Deontay Williams was moved inside. Williams has actually had a really good start to the year. Um, I think they're trusting him a little bit more and more, getting him off a field corner and now putting him into into the half where he's going to probably be going up against Dominic Rimes, Keon Hatcher in the slot a lot more. Um, I I don't know what to expect out of the defense. I like I none of that. I hope they're playing man a little bit more than they're playing zone because I, I just feel like, Ferdinand Adams is just going to pick them apart if they play this really soft zone they've been playing. I love what I've seen out of Deontay Williams so far. He feels like the guy that's getting better week in, week out. He was he was a standout in training camp, and it was just a matter of waiting for him to get his chance. You knew he was the first guy up as soon as somebody got hurt. I love having him out there in a more important role, and if it gets Jeremy Clark a little farther towards the bench, preferably stapled to it, that would be great. This defense just has to survive until it gets healthy. You need Roland Milligan back. Simple as that. He is the the difference maker. You know, you get him back and there's a lot less questions. But you know, going into this week. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but like that's a that's a really good point. We haven't really talked about that too much with this defensive backfield. I know I've been picking on them this this show here, but losing Milligan. Uh, for the six games, like that's that's a huge, huge loss because that guy's a stud. So 
Yeah, that's a great point, Steve. That that's where it is to be. You you have to survive until he comes back. Simple as that. And against BC, that's a tall task. That's that's a great receiving core that is going to run wild on us. Yeah. Um, so like we did last week, pick an impact player on both offense and defense for the riders. That's going to be instrumental in them winning this game. What if you don't think they're going to win? Who's going to keep it the closest? Uh, my boy TJ came through with me in the end of the last game. Um, I am going to go. Uh, this is me, Mitch Picton game. This uh, this feels like a Picton game. Are we th- sorry? Was this specifically offense or team in general? One Both on sides. offense, one on defense. We're starting with uh, offense. Because if we said special teams, we'd all pick Alford. So just leave it alone. <laughs> yeah. That's where I was going. Um, I I have to say Jamal Morrow. They need to establish the run game against that defensive line. It's going to suck for the first little bit, but they need to keep that D-line honest or as honest as you can. And I think he'll be the difference maker if they want any shot. I regret going third here because my first pick was pitched it, pick, picked in and my second pick was Morrow. So um, thanks, guys. Um, but I'm going to go with... I got you. Uh, Sam you want Emel- picked in? Oh, okay, I gonna, you can have no, picked in because actually I could switch. Because No, because I think Sam Emelis, um, he's tailed off a lot the last couple of games and I think he needs a good bounce back. And even last year, <clears throat> pardon me with, uh, with Mason fine, they would have had time as, as backups getting those reps together. So I'm, I'm hoping I see some instant chemistry there. Um, but yeah, I just think he needs a, a bounce back game because we were all pumping his tires to start the year and deservedly. So, and he's kind of done nothing in the last couple of weeks. So I think he, well, he and, and that's why I was actually thinking about switching. Cause after I picked, picked it, I'm like, you know, I think fine. Actually, I was going to pick fine. Fine. actually might have a game that's going to surprise us all. Cause he, cause he had, he has had time both live fire last year and a lot of time thrown to guys like MLS, like Picton. he, where he could have that chemistry that we don't, don't expect kind of like Durant and, uh, and Getzloff had so uh, on defense. Oh, Steve, you go first. I need to see something out of. Uh, he's. I would. I would go with Pete Robinson and Anthony Lanier as a pair. The the two of them, and I realize both of them are uh, missing from day one in practice, and I'm hoping they're they're good to go because if they're not. You don't have those two guys going against BC. That D line is going to get scarier. But assuming healthy, let's let's go with Pete Robertson. I need to see I need to see him have a light up game. He's getting paid a lot of money to not sack anybody, and that's got to change. They could pay me not to sack somebody. <laughs> um, I'm going with Dalkey. I I feels like some big Dalkey energy is coming this week. Uh, I, I really, even on special teams, uh, I'm expecting him to have a few uh, big hits this week and kind of set the tone for the team going going forward. I think it's got to be Derek Moncrief. 
since coming back. He's not been the same guy. He just hasn't really stood out. He started making some really good plays against Calgary. Um, but I think he needs kind of that big, big breakout game for him just to get back on track this year and go back to being the all-star that we all know he is. Uh, so I'm going to go with Derek Moncrief. Hopefully he's gotten close to, to a couple interceptions this year. Uh, this, the, this is the week that hopefully we get Vernon Adams throwing in six interceptions. Um, so yeah, I'll go with, yeah, go, I'll go with Moncrief. Um, so we'll do our picks for the the week here. Um, first game this week, 15 and a half. We already know what that is. Edmonton at Winnipeg. That's a, <laughs> that's a big spread guys. Like this is pro football. Well, so the site I I use that I use every week is Odd Shark. This is not a publicity for them. I'm just telling you, they actually open at 16 and a half. Jeez, oh, it is currently at 15. I mean, on paper, Winnipeg should cover that. They really should. And Winnipeg that- is minus a thousand on the money line. Oh yeah, it's not worth it. Jesus. <laughs> I might put some money down on Edmonton just for fun. Plus 660 on the money line. That's not bad. <laughs> I put 25 bucks down and you're basically retiring. That's not insane. That <laughs> but I mean, that'd be a hundred and what? 150, 180 bucks off $25. Yeah. I mean, you're, you know, you're throwing away your $25, but what if, right? Nobody would have had them beating or losing to Ottawa either. I'll take uh, yeah, I need to go. I need to go back, and I can't remember what Ottawa was. But yeah, anyone who had Ottawa on the money line last week was laughing. No one did, but the the, the one person that did was great. I'm gonna go with Edmonton covering. They're not gonna win this game, but they'll cover. You think they're gonna cover the 15? They'll yeah, cover, cover the 15. They'll cover 15. Yeah, they're on the road, so they actually have a chance at this game. And you got to know that locker room has seen all the press clippings, seen that line talk and seen the press clippings talking about that line. I, I would love for them to go and punch Winnipeg in the mouth, but yeah, I don't, I see them covering. I don't see them winning. I'm going an Edmonton win. I think they finally do it. And I think for two reasons, number one, all the talk about the, the spread, like you just said, and two, Winnipeg is beatable. They are not the team from 2021, 2022. They are not that team anymore. I don't think a 16-point spread is realistic. Now, having said that, they're going to win by 40 and make me look like an idiot. But I I feel like this... Eventually, they have to put a game together. Right? Like, it has to happen, even by accident. These guys are professional athletes. Well, most of them. Crum had those <laughs> Crum had those really good runs against that Winnipeg defense. You got Taylor Cornelius starting again this week. Lord knows why, but uh, the guy can run. Because Trey Ford is not the quarterback he was last year, according to Chris Jones, and he needs to prove it on the field in order for him to get on the field. <sighs> yeah. Just come out and say it, Chris Jones. You don't like Canadian quarterbacks. It's fine. You can say it. I don't think anybody will care. You know, I realize we're, you know, an hour into our episode here, but can we for a moment backtrack and all have a good hearty laugh at the interception that Taylor Cornelius threw? (laughs) 
that was one of the worst attempts at a pass I think I have ever seen. And I have watched kids football. Like, Left-handed with the best call by Dustin Nielsen. Dustin Nielsen, yep. I how you I understood they, they trotted him out there again the very next drive, which is a is hilarious to me. But how do you look at the tape from last game and go, you know, that's the guy that gives us the best chance to win? He's our guy. That's better than Trey Ford. That tells you how much Chris Jones hates Canadians is by trotting Taylor Cornelius after that play over Trey Ford, who actually won a game a couple of games last year before he got hurt. He's the one who's won their last game. Mm-hmm. Like just mind boggling. But I hope, I hope Cornelius goes off for 200 yards rushing and maybe completes two or three passes and, and wins a game. My only Get concern out of is his hands. I think Cornelius is going to be distracted by that loud stadium. Not the fans, the loud stadium. Uh, Toronto and Hamilton. First edition yeah. of the uh, Battle of the QE dub. Guesses? Uh, I'm going to turn it now. It hasn't moved yet. It has not moved. Nine and a half for Toronto. We go seven and a half for Toronto. Uh, where, where's my... Steve got it. That's still a big spread in the CFL. It is. Uh, and they cover it. And it's not is, even close. This is one of those things it? where you're playing a rookie quarterback that you have pretty much no film on. And these guys tend to have a really good game. So I can see how Hamilton can keep it close just based off Toronto knowing nothing about Taylor Powell. Uh, but Toronto, nah, Toronto's roster is stacked. And if Chad Kelly's not making errors, which he hasn't done all year long, they're not going to lose this game. I'll take I, Toronto to cover. Yeah, Toronto to cover. I don't see, unfortunately for Hamilton, this to be a fun one for them. Uh, Riders, BC. Riders at BC. Yep. Um, this one has changed. I'd imagine probably BC by six and a half, now seven and a half. I feel like I'm going to need my toes for this one. It's not just the fingers. I'm going. No, nine and a half. Start okay. What starter is first of all? I think it it is nine and a half. Started at ten and a half. Uh, you went the wrong direction. It started at eight and a half BC. It is now ten. Wow. Oh, it's it not getting better for the writers. But here's the BC. Uh, yeah. yeah. I I I don't think BC is going to cover. I. I don't think they're. I don't think the Riders are going to win. I think it's going to be like a nine-point game. I think that eight and a half was right. I don't see it hitting ten. Steve, we're, we're going up against a quality offense here. We we've been holding our own against the Calgarys and the Edmontons of the world. I I see it hitting double digits, and I see it hitting double digits at halftime. And I guess the Calgary game was double digits against us at halftime too. So that's not, not that big of a thing, but just nothing about this game screams confidence. To me. 
Our offense is struggling. Our defense is hurt and struggling. Unless Mario Alford can bust off three more touchdowns, I don't see this one being close. So BC and give me whatever spread. And that I hate saying that. Lord knows I'm the homer. And the final game of the week, going back to a Sunday night game, Ottawa at Calgary. This um, one has shifted. I would imagine it probably started Calgary like five and a half. Now it's at five. Yeah. Six. Six down to five. Six and a half down to uh, five. Started at four and a half for Calgary. It's now five and a half. Which surprises me it's gone up after the crumbback. After Winnipeg crumbled, if you will. Ha. Um, I forgot I forgot to get that in earlier. I had to wait for it. <laughs> um I'm still all against Jake Mayer. This guy is not good. Any quarterback would have beat the Riders by 30 plus last week with how open mm-hmm. his receivers are. His receivers aren't gonna get that open against Ottawa. Ottawa's defense actually isn't playing terribly this year and they actually get pressure on the quarterback with Malden um I'm gonna take Ottawa straight up to win that's a plus 200 actually I like Ottawa straight up too I'm not gonna lie whatever Bobby Dice has them doing right now over the last couple weeks like I know one was against Edmonton but once you start doing that guys start to believe in you Winning is a habit. It's, I know it's a cliche, but it's true. Yep. Once you find a way to win, it just seems to keep happening. I, I think Ottawa, by no means do I think Ottawa is going to come out of the East, but Ottawa is going to play spoiler a lot this year, I think, with the way Bobby Dice has them playing. I'm going to go Calgary, but Ottawa covers. I think I think they win on uh, Heredis's leg one more time. Well, I hope we get a lot of same finishes that we had last week in week six because that was a fantastic week of CFL football and the league needs a lot of those. Every so, game was a barn burner. Like, yeah, and when you look rare at where does that happen? And when you look at this week's schedule, it looks like it could be a lot of blowouts. Hopefully that's not the case. Uh, hopefully there's a lot of close games in, in this week and just keep the good season going. So, All right, well, that's going to do it. For this episode of the Piffles Podcast, of course, Piffles Podcast brought to you by our great friends at Dairy Queen on Elphinstone Street and Sass Drive in Regina. Special thanks as well, always, to Kathy Festion of Royal LePage Regina Realty and Churchill Brewing Company, which I have the Sundog White tonight. Lawnmower. I need, I need to learn oh, how to long. QBC stuff. Lots of great options there. So uh, check them out, Churchill Brewing Company as well, for all their support making this show possible. And of course, to Tyler Gilbert for this banger of a song, which I'm going to sing to, and hopefully Greg mutes me because you guys don't want to hear it. This is Ghost Behind Your Mind. Waiting for it. Waiting for it. And he's not doing it. Chicken. The Ghost Behind Your Mind.